Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the most of <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the more civil podcast, a podcast about culture and cultural movement designed for black nations and those who love them. And I'm your host, most civil Nigerian born, US educated, Korean speaking, struggling intellectual. Today on the show I decided to do something a little bit different and I give credit to my friend Olabingbe for giving me the idea. Um, as a lot of you know, I used to be an international student. Um, the definition for that would be someone who moves from their home country to another country for the purpose of furthering their education. So I moved here in 2011 to pursue um, two advanced degrees in pharmacy, a master's and a PhD. And so today I'll be talking about the plight of those who immigrated to the U.S. as special international students. And so you'll be hearing from Ada. I didn't have any family there. I hardly had any friends. There were a few students from my school. And also from Olabingwe. Crying so hard because it dawned on me that I was homeless in the freaking U.S. <laughs> Never ever before homeless in my life. And also from Linda, who's from Zimbabwe. To still continue living in this nation as a student is such a difficult thing because there's like no privileges whatsoever. And also from T-Dog. I almost lost my job six months into residency training. And last but definitely not the least, Maureen's story. And just a note of warning, her story contains themes of sexual harassment that might be distressing to some of the listeners. So just be aware of this. Apart from working as a nanny house of compulsion, I was also being harassed and almost raped by my husband. He would chase me around the house and pledge that he would make sure that he disvirgins me. And that's just a teaser of all you'll be hearing in this episode. And um, I think I have talked a little bit about some of the challenges that I went through. And even though I'm currently no longer a student, um, I still once in a while look back um, how far we ha- I mean, not that far away, but... Just, you know, where I started from, where we started from. And I still have a lot of friends in that situation. And I wanted to just do something. Um, I wanted to do justice to those stories. Because I think it's very important for us to understand that, um, especially for international students here, and especially during this time of the year, um, the holidays, it's quite difficult for most people. And the reason is because of being separated from their families. Now, let me explain further. Um, the story can be different depending on your country of origin. So for those that are from European countries, this might be a totally different scenario. But I think I speak largely for um, those that are from African countries, developing countries like in Africa, and also from um, countries that you know have not had such a stable and smooth relationship with the U.S. And um, long before... And I don't want to make this political, even though it is as political as it can get. Actually, let's make it political. Long before um, the Mexican war became a symbol of resistance or even of nationalism, there's some policies in the U.S. that have been separating people from their families. And the people I speak for today are international students. Um, some cannot even return home because even though they, they still have their valid status as students, it would be almost impossible for them to come back into the country to further their education. So they are stuck being here. And um, as you hear from one of the stories, um, some people that can't even have their parents come see them because every time they go to the U.S. embassy in their home country, their parents get denied. So you have a situation where um, you are doing work here as a student, you're doing research, you're doing all kinds of stuff to further the economy of the U.S., but then you don't even have that um, privilege to be able to see your family either by you being able to go home or even being able to come here. Apart from the educational bit of it, you also hear from those that, you know, immigrated with their green cards and just how difficult it was. And so without further ado, I'll be introducing them one after the other. And I hope, number one, it doesn't make you feel alone. For those that are stuck here, I hope my voice serves as just a reminder that you're not alone. I see you and I have been there. Um, and case in point, my husband has been stuck here for the past eight years. For the first time in eight years, he will be finally able to go see his twin brother and um, his sister because he was stuck here for a while, despite having you know, been in, in status and all that. And so the first story we're hearing is from Ada. Ada, who is originally Nigerian. Some of you might remember her from the story she did um, of her divorce and having two um, biracial kids. And just the challenges of um, navigating her divorce and serving in the army as, as well. And that story is a little bit unique because she um, got a different path to the U.S. to the green card. 
but then it wasn't without the challenges because for her story she used to she joined the army as a way to avoid the dysfunctionality that was going on in her you know family and this is Ada's story enjoy hey girl what's up thank you for letting me talk about this right so this is about you know leaving home the first time I left home for college I was 17 and my school was in the eastern part of the country I grew up in Lagos. I was born in Lagos, right? Even though my parents are from the East. But I had very little interaction with the East at, the, at this time. When I was leaving home, I remember that morning, um, I had my little suitcase. I was sad that I was leaving my parents, especially uh, my friends. But I think I was very excited too. I was excited because uh, this is what I wanted. We were raised to not be dependent on mom and dad. And I was excited to live it out, all right? Anyways, first day at school, I didn't know anybody at school, but I had a connection. My grandmother uh, had in some way contacted somebody who was who had a really good influence in the school. And uh, she happened to be a distant uh, relative. Anyways, this woman took me on and she helped me a lot. She helped me tremendously throughout my uh, first two years in school. Anyways, back to the first day of school. The first day of school was very stressful. Um, I'm running around trying to get registered. (laughs) If you know anything about school in Nigeria, you would know, especially public federal schools, you would know that it's very stressful. There's complete chaos. Everything is so difficult. There is no organization. Nobody knows where anything is. So you're running around. Even finding a hostel is a hassle. I remember I had to literally squat. Squatting is you're sharing a bed with a complete stranger. I mean, somebody you've never seen before school in your life. And you're sharing a six by six bed, right? School life. The first few weeks are enough to drive anybody crazy. Like I said, sometimes they can't even find your file. Nobody knows where your classrooms are. You take the bike, Okada. You run to this building because you're supposed to have class in there. You get there and eh, you're in the wrong location. They changed the classrooms. They changed your professor. So the first few days, weeks, you're lucky to even (laughs) come out of it uh, mentally sound, right? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of chaos and a lot of people do not care. Uh, It's so bad that sometimes people are asking for bribery just to do their job, just to get you going to school. Uh, Some professors have zero sympathy for you and your stories. You, You know, they don't care that, you know, it's your first time in school. You're supposed to be tough. You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to know how to survive. No one's giving you any sympathy, really. And to make matters worse, these were the days before cell phones. So we had those phones, those green, 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 green phones. Mm -hmm. So those phones were the only means of communication, fast communication to uh, my parents. And my parents did not really have a phone. And then if, so, so they had to go somewhere to take calls right and then if there was no light no electricity forget it you're not you will not be able to get a hold of anybody so when you think about those communication challenges to reach out to your family to your parents just forget it you just have to learn to survive on your own and make those acquaintances of of friends that you can sometimes depend on right if you're in high stress situations and this is kind of how it worked out for me anyways so school in itself, the first few weeks was very, very, very stressful. Um, I remember my dad visited once on my matriculation day. I remember my mom visited once. So twice, uh, they both came at different times throughout my college. So um, fast forward to my third year. I spent some time in Badagri, which is very close to Bene, right? Uh, I was a student exchange program, and again, there I was without any supervision. And um, a few months in in that year, a few months into that program, I had to go to Lomé. Now, my parents were very much in support. 
they encouraged me to go. Like I said, growing up, we're always encouraged to do things with our parents. So I went to Lome. Lome was one of the most challenging places that I've ever been in my life. And that was because the language was different. It was very challenging for me. The, the culture was very different. The people were different. The food was different. Um, in fact, the weather was different. Everything about it was so different. And I had a very hard time uh, adjusting and adapting. I didn't have any family there. I hardly had any friends. There were a few students from my school, from my in from my college who came, you know, who were part of um, you know, the student exchange program. But we were not really friends prior to you know going to Lome. And it was so hard. It was it was very hard for me. Uh but I survived. I mean I had a, a couple of accidents there, being electrocuted one time. I had food poisoning incidents. There were so many things that happened in Lome that made it very uh, a place that I didn't really like. But anyways, uh, after Lome, my fourth year, my dad filed for us to come over to the United States. And I came, I remember coming to the United States in September of that year. By October, I had a job and I was saving to go back to Nigeria to finish up my final year. If you know anything about Nigerian schools, again, they have something called strikes. So uh, maybe you have a four-year program, you might end up spending six or seven years in a school because the school is constantly shutting down and this affects education. So anyways, uh, I had to go back uh, the following year, finish my final year before coming back to the United States prior to leaving the United States to go to uh, Nigeria to finish my final year. I had to join the army and that was because there were so many issues going on in my family at that time. My family, uh, my family structure had disintegrated very, very badly. Um, and, uh, the level of toxicity in it was such that I could not come back to that home in order to grow, even though I was new to the United States. So I went to Nigeria, came back. And I went straight into the United States Army, did not spend uh, that much time at home. I mean, it was like this, this is, I was out. Before I went to Nigeria, I already made the deal, sealed the deal that, hey, whenever I was coming back, I'm, I'm shipping straight out into basic training. And that's what happened. So when it comes to the mental anguish of separation, I think that it really depends on the family dynamics. It, it really depends on, uh, is this a family that encourages togetherness? Uh, are you... Uh, conditioned to experience uh, uh, separation anxiety to the point where it interferes with uh, your function as a person. For me, whatever mental anguish that I got was more from the incidents that happened uh, at school versus the process of leaving home. Leaving home was not traumatic for me. Events that occurred at school, yes, were traumatic. Uh, at some extent, it wasn't so bad. I was deliberate, um, that it was, uh, that I couldn't function. But I mean, I just, I was able to cope better because I knew at the back of my mind that, um, my family, right, were not expecting me to depend on them. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, well, thank you. The next story is by um, Alabing Bay. Um, and some of you might remember her as on the show. She's been here a couple of times. You also hear about you know her path to the US and all she had to overcome to be where she is today. Hi everyone, my name is Ola Vinkpe. And um so <laughs> talking about my relocation experience to the US from Nigeria. So I relocated to the US in 2007. But before I even talk about that at all, let's talk about the journey itself. So <laughs> it was a very long flight. First, I think it was from Nigeria to well Amsterdam because yeah, it was through KLM. So it was a long flight period from there to Seattle, from Seattle to Sacramento. Yes. So by the time I got to, by the time I eventually arrived my destination, my eyes were bloodshot. <laughs> like I had been smoking, you know, and my breath was kicking because nobody told me that, you know, I should, um, you know, I've, I could have gone with it, maybe a small tube of toothpaste and a toothbrush in my purse. You know, every once in a while, I would go into the bathroom and try to clean my tongue. It was not as effective as using a proper toothbrush, period. And I'm very particular about, you know, my breath. So it made me quite mute 
on the flight. Yeah, which was not like my usual style. Anywho, it was my first time traveling or living in a country period. And so that was my experience. And so, go, I mean, I always tell people now, you know, if you're going that long distance, you need to have a toothbrush, something to keep your breath fresh. Even gum would not cut it. You need to brush your tongue and your teeth intermittently, you know, so... That was, you know, one experience. Um, second experience was when, you know, just arriving uh, my port of entry to the U.S. Um, in Seattle. Whilst um, the officer was, the immigration officer was going through my papers and, you know, asking a few questions and all that. I was nudged by the Holy Spirit to ask that he please place a call to my host's um, number. Um, my host, my host um, house and all that. <laughs> so while it was the phone... Then I found out that, I mean, from his responses, I could tell um, it was a wife who answered the phone, and I could tell that she did not know that I was coming to stay with her up until that time. And at some point in the conversation, the husband was not taking over the because then the the officer, the immigration officer, was then saying, "Yes, mm-hmm, she's here," blah blah blah. And I'm I'm so glad I listened to the Holy Spirit and I placed, you know, I asked that you know the, the officer placed that call because I. I would have been stranded, you know, just arriving in Sacramento. Anyway, um, so eventually I arrived in Sacramento, and um, they came to pick me up. And so I got in the car. Uh, I got in there. They had a van at the time. I got in their van, and uh, this woman is firing questions at me. I mean, she's trying to be polite, but she's still very curious. Even till date, she's still very much that way, but she's a very wonderful person. I got to find out eventually. Wonderful person. Um, just curious and... Um, dealing with issues in our marriage, and she just wanted to be sure, to be reassured. And so I knew it was my it was my place to make sure I, I, I reassured her that I was only going to be in their house for the sole purpose of accommodation, nothing more, nothing less, you know. So, and um, my stay in their house was quite eventful. Um, to the extent of her ability, she was she was very she was a nice. I mean, she is a nice person. And, uh, but given the circumstance that she found herself at the time, it was quite difficult for her. So I, I, I appreciate that, you know, she was even able to put, you know, allow me to stay in spite of all that was going on with her, you know, in a relationship. Again, this woman was not who I knew. I knew the husband, so she could have acted differently towards me, you know? So anyway, so that was first, that was my, you know, <laughs> first, um, take coming to, the U.S. Eventually, I had to relocate to Baltimore, and um, I guess that that was when I got a taste of what most people, what most people's um, stories or experience, you know, was like. Um, so I stayed with this family for I think about a month. I want to believe it was it was less than a month actually, almost a month, but less than a month. Um, and at some point, you know, looked for a job, but didn't get a job, and so. Um, uh, they wanted, they found a job and they wanted me to go do a living job, but I knew that I wanted to go to school. You know, I, I knew at some point I wasn't going to start school that semester, but they wanted me to do a living job for some reason or the other. I mean, it was just weird because quote unquote, I was at their mercy. Um, so I, I decided to go with it, even though I was not happy about it at all. I was not happy about it. a living situation for those who don't um, know it is a situation where is a situation where you work and leave you leave where you work. And so pretty much like they provide accommodation and you still work there. So you're, you're there 24 seven. So you pretty much can do much with your life outside of work. Um, and so upon arrival at the location of a job, I just knew like, look, this is not what I want. I'm not going to be forced to do what I didn't want to do mind you at this point i wasn't a jjc i wasn't fresh out the boat so i knew you know like uh, america lawa we're in america so <laughs> anyway i uh told the lady the owner of the business i look i can't do this i'm not gonna do it so she placed a call to her, obviously a friend the lady who i stayed with and you know i got a call from her straight up and she sounded pretty upset on the phone and told <laughs> me her husband said that i shouldn't come back, come back to the house if i'm not gonna you know do the living job so I'm like, okay. Then I placed a call to the husband because I thought, oh my God, well, the husband is a lot friendlier and, um, you know, more approachable than the wife. So I called and he affirmed what um, the wife said. He said, like, yeah, exactly what his wife told me is exactly his decision that I shouldn't come back 
blah, blah, blah. At this point, all of my stuff were packed anyway. I had my luggage, so I didn't have a reason to go back to their house. I think I still, there were a few things left behind, but it was pretty much most of my stuff were in my bag. Anyway, so I... I mean, I just couldn't stop crying. I was crying so hard because it dawned on me that I was homeless in the freaking U.S. <laughs> Never, ever before homeless in my life. And here I am in the land of plenty, the land where, uh, of milk and honor and honey. And here am I, homeless. <laughs> um, anyway, so I placed a call to one of the um, ladies who attended the same church as I did at the time. I placed a call to her because she was part of the welcome team. And she said, nah, forget it, that she's coming to pick me up. That don't worry about it. So she took me to her house and, you know, I stayed there. And um, so pretty much that was the experience that I had. I mean, of course, there, there's been more experiences or experience after that. But it's just um, we're talking about, you know, a transition experience. And so, yes, that was what it was for me. Now, my take on it is um, if you're going to host anyone, it's always very ideal that you're upfront about your expectations you're upfront about um expectations as, as to what you want them to do around the house what you expect of them period or how long you're willing to accommodate them for so that you don't it's not like you spring the surprise on them or anything like that so they already they're already you know aware from the word go that look i'm gonna, only going to stay here for seven months or six months whatever you're willing to you know put up with and so yeah and also, if you're the person that has been accommodated, it would be very nice of you to make, I mean, to do grocery shopping every now and then. Matter of fact, offer to pay a bill or two. Maybe not the, obviously not the mortgage, but, um, you know, offer to pay maybe the water bill, um, the phone bill or the light bill, some bill, sha. You know, just offer to pay, just to show, and also help around the house. Because most people are busy in the U.S., and so... And we don't have help like you have it in Nigeria, you know. So, yeah, just offer to help. Don't be a burden because, yeah, nobody is trying to have another person come add to their burden already, you know. So, yeah, just try to ease whatever you can do to ease um, their burden to make your stay easier on them. Do it, you know. And I'm sure, yeah, yeah. But that's that's just, that's my story. And that's what I have to say. Thank you. The next story is from Linda, my friend from Zimbabwe. Linda um, is currently in Dallas pursuing her PhD. And um, I should also note that you find a lot of um, international students here studying for the longest time, either doing you know multiple masters or going in for their PhDs. A lot of the time, it's not because they really want to keep studying, because they know that it's about the only way to be legal in the U.S. And so a lot of time is just being spent to wild time away, pending when you finally get your green card. And in Indra's case, it's kind of similar to that. And she's not been able to see her mom for many, many years now. Hi, my name is Linda and I am from the great land of Zimbabwe. <laughs> yeah, the great land of Zimbabwe, right? Anywho, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my immigration experiences for um, my journey and getting here into the United States of America. I was able to get a visa, um, a student visa, let me clarify that, uh, coming here with no issues. Um, because whenever I came, it was the time at which it was not difficult to get a visa to come to the United States as a student. So Another thing that helped is also we had somebody that we knew that worked at the embassy. So when we went there, it was me and my sister, of course, I say we. Um, when we went there, it was pretty much a smooth transition, even though we were nervous, as you all possibly could imagine. Going through the embassy was always a nerve-wracking um, thing to do. Uh, we were able to go and present all our staff. We had very minimum questioning. Um, I was only one, asked one question. Well, actually, let me take that back too, because they asked me what was I going to do and what was I, like as in what was I going to study and what was I going to do after graduating. So that process was very seamless, quite easy. However, roll it forward like about maybe, uh, let me say about, Oh, close to like maybe about seven years later, 
um, we tried to get my mom to come um, so she could come to my graduation when I graduated with my master's degree. And the people at the church that I was going to at that time were very supportive and they were paying for everything. So my mom went to the embassy with all the information and she got denied the visa. And so who were like, okay, let's try again. We tried again a second time. And the church had provided all the stuff she needed, showing that, you know, she was coming uh, to, to for graduation. The church was supporting her for all her expenses and things like that. And that second time she got denied again. And so we decided to stop pursuing her getting a visa because after the third time, they pretty much will put you down in the books as in like they'll flag you and say this person has been denied this number of times. If they come back again, we're going to deny them again automatically. We're not even going to even try to give them an appointment or anything like that. So that was really heartbreaking considering like we had all the supporting documents uh, and my mom She's getting older and she wasn't going to come and stay or anything like that. But that was their fear that, okay, you're leaving, you're not going to come back. And that kept being the reasoning what they were of why they were not giving her a visa, why they were denying her each time she went. So we gave up that attempt. Fast forward, like maybe about another seven years later, my sister, she got married um, and uh, my brother-in-law, who my sister is married to now, was like, okay, we're going to go ahead and invite your mom to the wedding so she can be able to come and, you know, be part of the celebrations and uh, see her grandkids and what so forth. Because my sister had a small wedding at the beginning and they waited to have a big wedding. So when they had the big wedding, they had two kids by then uh, when they decided to have the big wedding. So we're inviting my mom to come and be a part of that and then she could also meet her grandkids mind you at this point in time i'm still on a student visa because i'm still in school so i can stay legal in the states trying to keep up with my status at that point in time my sister and my brother-in-law um, they were currently going through the immigration process to become permanent residents. So they had that going. So there was a lot of information that was provided again for my mom to go to the embassy and to try again to come and visit and be part of the celebration. But she was denied yet again. So we're like, OK, try again a second time. See what they say. We provided all the information, uh, gave her an invitation to the wedding, all this and all the other. Still got denied. So. Um, to this day, she hasn't been able to um, come to America because she keeps getting denied on the visa process. And it's been such a difficult process every single time she goes there. We're like literally have to pray and fast in advance. And you go there, they grill you, they look at your paperwork, and then they still deny you. You provide all the stuff that you um, you want to provide and all the stuff that they ask you to provide and they still deny you because they say oh you're not going to come back to the country or they'll say eh, we're not going to give you a visa why they'll say we're just not going to give you a visa so that's been difficult that's been a difficult process and it's been um quite difficult to keep dealing with that every time and um that's been such a huge barrier as far as with like, even for me personally, um, still being here, having to still continue um, living in this nation um, as a student is such a difficult thing because there's like no privileges whatsoever. Um, you literally have to be on pins and needles. Well, I feel like I have to be on pins and needles a lot of the times and you cannot really travel freely even if you want to um, because you always have that fear that what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to come back? And what is that going to look like? Especially even if we decide to go back to Zimbabwe to visit, uh, chances are very high that you're going to be stuck there and you're not going to be able to come back if you do not have a green card or if you do not have a citizenship for here in the U.S. So that's been such a struggle with trying to balance that, um, you know, balancing family, having family abroad, uh, family scattered everywhere. But that's been my experience. Okay. Um, 
what would I um, suggest or what words of encouragement would I give to people struggling with immigration issues? I would say just stay faithful and be patient and keep pursuing God, um, keep seeking God's favor. Um, really, that's been my thing. Um, just keep on trusting God because at the end of the day, he is the one that's going to be uh, fighting for us and will make things happen for us, regardless of what men say or barriers that men put in place. Um, I would also just, so what tip would I give? I would just suggest that whenever you're dealing with immigration, just make sure you have all your ducks in a row. Have all your paperwork. Keep track of every little nitty-gritty thing that you have. Don't lose anything. And if you do, um, go get more copies as soon as you can. Um, have a separate file that has all your immigration stuff. Um, because you never know. You never know when you need it. You never know when they will interrogate you and they will ask you for all kinds of stuff, stuff that you probably won't even remember you even had, they will dig it all up. Um, so I would just suggest stay on top of your stuff. Don't, don't get, um, don't get caught up uh, relaxing, you know, with your guard down almost, if I, for lack of a better word or better term to describe that, um, because the system is brutal. Um, but at the same time, above everything else, remember, we have a good God. We have a God that's bigger than any system, a God that just can give you a green light at any moment that he chooses to, that he sees fit in any moment in time, and he lives out of time. So um, we might be impatient and we might want something to happen now, but just be patient, be persistent, um, and keep up with what it is that you can keep up with. Be proactive in in doing that and just watch God do what he does. And the next story you're going to be hearing is from the only man that can proudly say I was once his sugar mommy. And um, this is my husband's story. It's one that um, we've <laughs> we've been through together. Um, um, I, I think I'll just say this. You're going to hear that part of the story. Um, just to give you a little bit of a context, an F1 status means people that came to the U.S. on a student visa. So when you hear someone say F1, that's the uh, visa category for students in the U.S. And F2 is also a student visa, but it's to the spouse or children or dependents on, on the main applicant of an F1. And so there are a lot of restrictions on an F1. For example, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to do anything. All you just can do is just to stay at home. And um, so you hear from his story as well. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Taiwo Adedikwe. And um, I'm a family physician. I will currently work as a hospitalist. Um, but um, it's been quite a journey getting to this point. First off, I first came into the U.S. Um, after quite an ordeal of an experience, um, being issued the wrong visas and getting here, being delayed at the port of entry and all that, which was not a pleasant experience. I eventually had to have my visas canceled um, because it was the wrong visa was issued because um, I guess they didn't want to take responsibility for the mistake they made at the embassy in Nigeria. But anyways, um, I'm glad I did that because I would have had issues moving forward. Um, but fast forward a couple of years, um, I was able to get a license and all, but then I had issues renewing my license as I couldn't verify my status. You know, and those of you that are on visas would understand um, all these hoops that you have to go through, um, just trying to make sure that you're maintaining your status and all that. But um, yeah, I came in on F2. Um, my wife's um, status, which was F1, um, I eventually had to change my status to F1 when I went to school for my master's. Um, and then, you know, still trying to maintain your status, you know, working 20 hours on campus and all that stuff. Um, try not to do more than 20 hours so you don't get into trouble and all that. But anyway, um, fast forward, um, graduation from my master's and then getting into residency training. Um, I recall myself and my wife had to go through 
you know, the painful process of um, having our green card application denied, uh, having had really poor representation from our immigration attorney. Um, after spending close to $9,000 on that process, you know, but um, I'm glad everything worked out well in the end. Um, and I thank God for friends that were able to recommend an attorney for me to talk to that, you know, gave me some advice to immediately apply for um, my OPT, you know, by virtue of my um, F1 status, which was what I did. And um, the next year I was able to ex apply for a STEM extension um, before eventually getting a green card by virtue of my wife's um, employer. So, yeah, that's immigration experience in a nutshell. I'll just add that um, I almost lost my job, um, you know, six months into residency training. And um, as some doctors that might know, you know, it's really an ordeal and it's quite a painful process trying to secure a residency spot. Um, but that I did, you know, thanks to God. But then, you know, this was threatened by, you know, an uncertain immigration status. So, but anyway, like I mentioned earlier, um, a friend of mine introduced me to a lawyer who advised me to go ahead and apply, you know, for an OPT, which I was eligible for. So thank God everything worked out in the end. Um, yeah, I recall when I first came to the U.S. talking to one of my cousins based in Dallas who, you know, was telling me, am I here to visit or to stay? You know, heard lots of issues about you know getting married for papers and stuff like that but myself and my wife made up our minds that we're gonna do it the right way and you know maintain our integrity um, and you know trust that god will make things work out um, i know this process it's a really daunting one for um, anyone here on the visa um, but i'll just say you know, do the best you can add as much value as to yourself as possible um, so you can be marketable and whoever um, gets a hold of you would not want to let you go and hopefully that helps you um, secure you know your way to permanent residency um, I would just like to also add that you know in the first probably two three years of me being here was pretty rough you know having just got married in Nigeria and myself and my wife moving here it wasn't a pleasant experience at all you know being on an F2 which meant I couldn't work so I was just pretty much you know, studying at home and helping out in ways I could, but I couldn't legally work. So um, that was rough, especially on a man, you know, who wants to be the provider. So, but I guess everything worked out well in the end. You know, I was able to have time to study for my exams and focus. So I guess things worked well in the end. But during that experience, it wasn't a pleasurable one at all. Um, but yeah, I tried to keep it short and simple, but I would say that. Um, that, in a nutshell, has been um, my immigration experience um, in brief. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, um, we were looking for ways to change our status. Um, um, and that's where we got connected with a really shabby lawyer um, based out of Maryland that did a heck of a horrible job. Um, but, you know, like they say, or like the Bible says that all things work together for good for those that love God. Um, in spite of this, you know, God made everything work out well for us. And now we have our green cards and I can finally go back home to visit after eight years. Um, it's not been funny feeling trapped. I'm sure that some of you feel trapped in the U.S. and not being able to go back to visit family and friends, you know. So I'm just really thankful for the opportunity to um, have this taken care of and God making everything work out well in the end. So just encouraging um, everyone listening, if you're on a visa, you know, just do things right. Don't do things out of desperation or frustration. You know, don't do anything illegal. Um, do it the right way and God will honor you. Um, yeah, and just put yourself out there. Apply yourself to, to, to the process and uh, just trust that God will make everything work out for you. Um, and if you're in school... You know, if you're studying a STEM-related course, um, that's also a plus because you can get up to three years um, work authorization after you graduate from your course. Um, so, yeah, that's, in a nutshell, my immigration story. And uh, um, I hope you guys were able to pick up one or two lessons from here. All right.
Thanks and uh, bye for now. And then last but definitely not the least, you're going to be hearing from Maureen. Uh, some of you might remember Maureen from some days ago on the live show and also the very last episode about her nightmarish divorce. And Maureen's story is a little bit um, sensitive, contains some sensitive materials just because of the nature of um, sexual harassment. So just a heads up on that. Hi, everyone. My name is Maureen Omokbariola, and I moved to the United States when I was 19. Fifteen years ago when I moved to the U.S., I didn't know what was ahead of me. I had come from Nigeria after winning the visa lottery to live with a family friend whom my father trusted, but things didn't turn out the way I expected. To make communication easier, I'm going to name her Auntie J. At the time when I moved here to live with Auntie J, my expectation was to continue my education, knowing I was in college going to my second year when I left Nigeria. However, when I got here, I became a nanny. Auntie J just had a month-old baby boy whom I became a caregiver to, coupled with two other girls. I was solely responsible for their well-being except taking care of them financially, of course. I would wake up a little before 6 a.m. every day, and I wouldn't sleep until 1 a.m. In addition, I have to feed the baby in the middle of the night. Even though Auntie J was paying me for my service, it wasn't something I willingly wanted to do. I was practically a baby myself. I came from a background where my mom had always taken care of me. I was the helper of my father's eyes. I was pampered and favored in my home as the only daughter of my mother. I wasn't raised in her affluence, of course, but I never lacked anything either. I was well cared for by my parents, but here I was living to care for other people's children, not having a say on how I wanted to live my life. Each time I brought the topic about school, I was always getting shut down with the excuse that I wouldn't be able to understand the kind of English language that they speak here. My time with Auntie J was not the best. I was always crying myself to sleep. I missed my home in Nigeria. I've never been away from my parents like that. The most traveling I ever did was to Lagos, which was like almost two hours away from my home. In the U.S., I had to endure so many things for a better future. I was first to grow beyond my years at a very tender age. The experiences I had were ones I would never have imagined to have in a hundred years. I remember the time I was uh, living with Auntie J. Apart from working as a nanny house of compulsion, I was also being harassed and almost raped by her husband. He would chase me around the house and pledge that he would make sure that he disvirgins me. The issue of my virginity stemmed from one of our discussions. I was very close to this man. I could tell him anything and everything. It was caring to me and approachable, unlike Auntie Jay, who I'm, whom I had viewed as a Margaret Thatcher. Auntie Jay's husband had asked me at a point in time if I had a boyfriend before leaving Nigeria and if I have ever had sex before. I told him I was a virgin and my trouble started from that day. He said he would make sure that he is the first to sleep with me. I thought this man was joking until he started chasing me around the house. He would come to my room every morning right after I just showered with my towel still on me. This man would glance at me from head to toe with a devilish smile on him like someone taunting another human. I can remember the look on his face and how disgusted I was I was always at him whenever he does that. I feared for my life. I've never experienced such before. I started having sleepless nights. One, because I had nowhere to go, and two, because I don't know how long I could last before this man rapes me. I remember this man promising that he would take care of me and I would live my best life away from Auntie J. He said I wouldn't have to worry about the children. He would rent me an apartment where I alone would live. He would buy me a car and make my life comfortable. He said I would have my freedom and that all I needed to do was be his mistress. I was afraid. I've never been exposed to such before. I was just a teenager who didn't know anything. All I knew in life as a then was to go to school, go to church, and have a good relationship with God. Hearing that proposal didn't sit well with me. I thought it was evil and I could not pay Auntie J with that for taking me in when no one offered to help me with my relocation to America. I confided in my mother, but she couldn't help me. She lived thousands of miles away. All she did was to cry with me over the phone and pray that God would deliver me. Oh, I always cry myself to sleep every night, praying to God for help. I lived with Auntie J for seven months and that was the worst seven months of my life, mostly because I dreaded every minute of not knowing what would happen to me next if I'm not careful with her husband. Eventually, my mother told my father my situation, and after he heard, 
he was extremely angry and started looking for an alternative. He said if he couldn't find an alternative for me, I may have to come back to Nigeria. I didn't want to go back to Nigeria and I didn't want to live with Auntie Jay either. I just hoped and prayed that help would arrive. After weeks of searching for help, my cousin in Nigeria heard about my situation and spoke to one of his friends. My cousin found me a place to live here in America. His friend was willing to accommodate me, but he lived in another state, which was eight hours away from where I was at the time. I didn't mind. I was just happy to finally find help. Let's call my cousin's friend's name, Uncle Josh. Uncle Josh was very nice to me at first. I developed a relationship with him. I took him as a brother, but a few months after I started living with him, everything changed as well. I had two jobs at the time uh, that I was working. I was always tired from work, and I still had to cook for this man every day. He would tell me that he wanted fresh food every single day. Uncle Josh had collected my money that I brought from Auntie Jay's house, plus the income I was making at the time while I was living with him. He collected everything with a promise to open a bank account for me, but nothing was done. He spent all my money. I had nothing to my name, and then my trouble started. Whenever I sleep, he would come to touch me and play with my breast. I would jump up from my sleep, and when I looked at him, I always see this devilish smile, very similar to the one on Auntie J's husband's. This man said he was going to sleep with me too. He had a girlfriend at the time, so I didn't understand the logic behind him wanting me. He tried and tried, but I would always run away and stay away until, until he was asleep. He taunted me to the point that I said if he wanted to sleep with me, he would have to marry me because I had vowed to God that whoever I will marry would be the one to disvirgin me. And if he rapes me, he would have to explain to God. He was a spiritual person, so that took him by surprise for a minute that I said he would have to face God and explain why my vow was broken. But that didn't last too long either. The harassment continued until I could finally take it no more. I knew I had to do something before he eventually rapes me. I remember fasting and praying and telling God that I don't know how he was going to do it, but he would do it. He had to put an hand to my torment from men that wanted to take advantage of me and my naivety. To cut the long story short, one day after living with Uncle, Uncle Josh for a year, trying to avoid his harassment, this man was hell-bent on sleeping with me. It was as if something came upon him, and I knew that was the hand for me. I ran out of the house in the snow, and he told me never to come back unless I was ready to sleep with him. I stayed in the snow for hours until a church member whom I had called eventually came to get me and put me up for a while. She wasn't surprised when I explained what happened. She said she thought I was already sleeping with Uncle Josh because she knew who he was, and raising an alarm confirmed to her that I wasn't. In summary, I got help from the church. They helped me pay three months in advance for my own accommodation with the promise that I will pay them back, which I, I did, of course. And for those that may be in the same situation that I was, my advice to you is to be steadfast. Doing the right thing is going to cost you and even test your limits, but the reward is great at the end. Never because of whatever you're going through, forget God. My my faith played an important role in all that happened to me. The God factor is extremely important to me. Apart from God, I would also uh, I would also ask you that you seek help from social services. I didn't know about them at the time, nor did I know about Google. I was clueless about a lot of things, which hated my suffering. And if you ever become a victim of sexual harassment, remove yourself immediately and call the police. And also for parents. If you're sending your children to the U.S. for one reason or the other, make sure you give them enough money to survive. When I came here to the U.S., I had no money on me because my father thought I was going to live with family, quote-unquote. Never send your children here without money. It will definitely come in handy. I hope sharing my experience will help someone out there. You're stronger than you think. You are wise. You are worth beyond a thousand reasons why. Nobody's perfect. But remember, there's no one like you either. God bless you. And that concludes all the short stories on immigration for this episode. Thanks to everyone that sent in their stories. Ada, um, Linda, 
Binkei, Taiwo, aka T Dog, and Maureen. All in all, I I do hope this serves to you know encourage somebody out there. Um, I think a final note to be for those that are in a position of power and authority, and on a policy level. I think there's a lot of discussion to be had about just improving the quality of life of international students in the U.S. And, and that is being just a bit more flexible with the visa category, such that it's, they should make it almost like impossible. As long as you're maintaining the status, you're attending school and all of that, all of the modalities involved that entails being a student are being met. There should be a way to have them be, be able to move freely, you know, to and fro um, the country, because that serves like a very... Um, Point of te- high point of tension for so many people, so that's on a policy level and um, on a more humanistic um, community level. For Americans listening to this, reach out to an international student today that you might know about or know of. They might be spending just you know Christmas yet again alone. Um, be that host family. You might never be able to replace their family at home, but you can extend an extra chair at the table for them to sit with you guys and, and break bread together. Because I think that goes a long way in helping international students, um, especially those that are that have never been, that are not able to go home or have their families visit them, feel very welcome here. And and I, I can tell you from experience that it really does go a long way. Well, um, that wraps up the show. If you loved this episode, if it resonated with you, let me know. If you also want to come on the show to share your story, I'll be excited to and also honored to have your story on the show. Check out the website www.mosibyl.com for more content. You can also listen to the podcast on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Teacher, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts on. And just a heads up, um, the show is about to go on a hiatus for the holiday and we'll be back sometime in the spring of next year. So um, get in the loop and check out my social media pages for updates regarding the show well thanks for listening to the show and um i remain your host musibo behind me now is a song by iris ruela dement called my life and shout out to all the handsmaids though fans out there if you know you know Comfort to my friend